Good afternoon, football fans, and welcome to a Tuesday edition of the Big D Podcast. Before I bring in today's special guest, please subscribe, like, and share the Spunky Spectrum Sports YouTube page where you never know what to expect. It might be football, might be baseball, might be golf, or might be a little DFS. So please subscribe, like, and share. And then uh, the podcast is also available on Spotify and Apple. So uh, whether he's... uh, Seeing Aaron Rodgers or seeing Nick Saban, this guy sees everything in the world of football. Uh, David Moulton, uh, David's uh, been a fixer in Southwest Florida for years, and uh, uh, we found it. Whether he's doing FGC baseball, basketball, baseball, soccer, or the NFL, David's usually around somewhere, right? It's working for a living, that's for sure. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, David, and uh, speaking of working, uh, somebody is out of a job this morning. That would be USC football coach Clay Helton. And uh, we saw the news yesterday afternoon, uh, Southern Cal finally decided to uh, relieve Clay Helton of his coaching duties. Uh, Were you surprised USC just fired Clay Helton this early in the year? No because they were down four touchdowns mid fourth quarter and two garbage time touchdowns doesn't shake the, you know, stink of where they are as a program. And you got to remember, this is an outsider is AD. Mike bone came from Cincinnati. This is the first time they've gone outside the USC family in a long time for an AD. So he's not tied to the whole gotta be loyal to the Trojan family way of thinking. And, I thought he was brutally honest in his assessment. He said, hey, I came here two seasons ago. I've given Clay and his staff more resources than any football program here has ever had. We're not seeing the results. We think we should be a top five program in the country. We're far from that. I'm making a change now. It also gets the word out early to agents and to prospective candidates. All right. Instead of doing this in mid-November, in which we all kind of know the six or seven jobs that are becoming available. You get this out there early now. I mean, remember, that's how Florida got Urban Meyer. Notre Dame waited to the end of the year to get rid of Ty Willingham. All right. Florida got rid of Bronson in mid-October when they lost, or late October when they lost to Mississippi State. And that one month to six weeks advantage, many people believe was the difference as to why Urban chose Florida over Notre Dame. So I think this is a good move. The other thing which is telling is the Coliseum was half empty. A change had to be made. Yeah, I mean, the fact that USC played a Pac-12 game, I know it was late at night, it was, what, 7.45 on the West Coast, but they're playing games in half full, of some cases, half-empty stadiums. That's not USC football. Well, the other thing was, was that recruiting-wise, he wasn't getting it done. While they have the number one player in California committed for 2022, they don't have any of the next 30. Oh, God. And Oregon's got four of the top 30 that are committed to go there. And, and, I, and, 
And you know, so that's you, you add it all up. They're not winning in the last two plus years. I think his last 32 games, I think he was 18 and 14. You know, they're not winning. They're not winning on the recruiting trail and people aren't going to their games. I mean, what else do you need to get fired? And I'm glad you mentioned recruiting because speaking of football again, probably the number one defensive player in college football is not at USC. He's at Oregon, Thibodeau. And look at Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson, all starting quarterbacks from California. California. Exactly. exactly. And if you're USC, you know, I'm from New Jersey. And I have thought forever that Rutgers should be a top 20 program because New Jersey's always been a top seven to top 10 state in the country for high school football talent. And it's the old in theory, if you put a fence around the state of New Jersey, you should be a top 20 team. Well, my goodness, if you could get the top recruits in California, I mean, how are you not a top five team? Yeah, because find me, find me too big. Find me. The three big states for college, for high school recruits are Texas, Florida, and California. But right. yet- and Bob, Bob Ryan had a funny line years ago when Pete Carroll turned USC back into being a dominant force. And I think it was Tony Kornheiser on PTI that asked him, you know, you know, Bob, what are your thoughts about this? And he said, well, if Pete Carroll needs a running back, he opens up the window to his office and yells, hey, I need a running back. And four top 20 running backs come running. I mean, you know, it's it's not that complicated. The recruiting trails much, you know, more difficult now because you got more people dipping into your pond. But in theory, if you have your act together, you win. USC should win all ties in the state of California, but they're not even getting close to being tied. They're more like they're more like they are fifteen in the party instead of instead of the leading the party. Right now, you get the right coach. This turns around quickly. I mean, Pete Carroll started winning year two. Nick Saban started winning in Alabama year two. I mean, you get the right coach by your second recruiting class at these prestigious schools you can start turning it around. That's why don't judge Sarkeesian in Texas on this year. All right, let's see how they look in October of next year when he's had two recruiting classes. All right, then let's see what Texas begins to look like. So for USC, now the process of getting a head coach begins, uh, obviously, big. when you think of SC, you think tradition, but Lately, USC, USC has been more of a dumpster fire. I mean, too, they, a couple of, a few years ago, they made the Rose Bowl lose, of winning a great game against Penn State, but then looking awful the next year in the Cotton Bowl against Penn yeah, State. Dylan, I don't think the particulars matter. I think, quite frankly, it's like Florida State. I think Florida State's the top 10 job in the country. Now, it's a grease fire right now, but if Mike Norvell gets his act together, which he does, and you're beginning to see it on the recruiting trail, they have a top five class right now. Now, can they keep it together for next year? But Florida State's a top destination if you have a competent coach and the program has its act together. USC can win quickly. Texas can win quickly. You know, Brian Kelly turned Notre Dame around quickly and they've got more limitations than all the other schools we've mentioned a great coach the right coach at an all-time great program can win very 
quickly. So who, so who do you think USC should go after and who will ultimately be USC's next head coach? I don't think it will be an NFL guy. I'm going to just throw this out there. Are you Bill O'Brien, who is a former NFL head coach, but he's also a former college head coach. He began to turn Penn State around before leaving for the Houston Texans, and James Franklin picked up the ball from there. James Franklin, I think, will also be on the short list. But I'm just throwing that out there, Bill O'Brien. And I think why I might be interested is Bill O'Brien is where right now? He's the offensive coordinator at Alabama, exactly. Now, D, what I would do, and I'm serious about this, I would call Lane Kiffin. I would say, listen, I wasn't here 10 years ago. I, and besides, I think it's proven out we were wrong, okay? You, you, you said this is your dream job. I'll give you a blank piece of paper and a pen, all right? And I'll give you a seven-year deal. Yes or no, do you want the job? I wouldn't play around. This is USC, you get a second bite at the apple. We'll admit we were wrong. And hell, I wasn't here when you got fired on the tarmac. Pat Hayden was. That was two ADs ago, all right? I'm not kidding, all right? You can have second acts, okay? People can admit they screwed up. Why not? I mean, Steve Sarkeesian screwed, screwed it up a couple of times. He had he got the Texas job, probably a top 70, probably a top five job in the country. Right, right. Now, he didn't screw up in Texas, but also I think Lane's track record showed that USC screwed up far more than Lane. Lane's a lot older. That was like eight years ago when Lane got fired. That's a long time ago. And ultimately, you know, you take bruised egos and hurt feelings aside. Ole Miss is never going to be anything more with Texas and Oklahoma coming into the conference as well. Meanwhile, you know, if you get your you-know-what together at USC, you can rule the roast. You can't do that in Oxford, Mississippi. That's who I would call. I really would. But for an James Franklin's going to get mentioned. Obviously, the guy at Iowa State's going to get mentioned, Matt Campbell, although I think he's probably waiting for Jim Harbaugh to leave Michigan. Um, you know, clearly Luke Fickle's going to get mentioned because the AD came from Cincinnati. He's the one who hired Fickle and all that. But uh, my outsider is Bill O'Brien. What I would do is offer the job to Lane Kiffin. I, I don't think James Franklin would leave for SC. First off, he's making eight million a year. Second off, unless SC paid him like double what he's making, he actually wouldn't be able to keep it because of California's taxes. And thirdly, why? And true, you look at the Big Ten, especially the Big Ten East, with Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, and Penn State. Might be easier to win in the Pac-12, especially depending on how. Conference realignment goes in a few years. Well, I think that's why he would take the job. All right, let's face it. He has to go through one of the behemoths every year in Ohio State. Whereas if he goes to SC, all right, he can be the behemoth. And it's an even richer recruiting ground than where he is right now, which is one of the five best places to recruit from. He goes to arguably the best place, certainly one of the top three. And USC was paying Clay Helton $5 million. It's a private university. They've got money. 
All right. They, they can afford to pay James Franklin, you know, eight plus million dollars. They can. Do you want the job? Yes or no? It's going to be interesting. And uh, speaking of uh, underachieving programs, if you look, I mean, yeah, Texas lost Arkansas. I know people are going to say, well, Steve Sarkis is not the co- coach for Texas. First off, First off, can we let him breathe a little bit? He's been in Austin, what, an hour and a half? Yeah. Pete Carroll won 6-6 six and six his first year at USC. They lost a bowl game with minus rushing yards his oh. first year. And the very next year, they finished third in the country. Nick Saban went 7-6 and six his first year at Alabama. If anybody judges Steve Sarkeesian based on 2021 in Austin, they're an idiot. Yeah, I think Evan Meyer lost three games at Florida in his first year at Florida, and then they won the national championship in 06. Right. I mean, he's not even coaching his recruits yet, really. He's so, coaching Tom Herman's recruits. Right. So, But uh, a couple other underachieving programs, uh, Nebraska, Michigan, and Tennessee. I mean, Tennessee – I mean – is Tennessee made a lot a lot of the uh, – is uh, Tennessee going through a lot of the same issues that Texas with Josh Heifel there? No. Uh, Tennessee's problems are more in line with Nebraska <laughs> and even to some degree Michigan because Tennessee doesn't have a home recruiting base. This has become a very difficult job. If you think back 30 years ago, the 90s was when Tennessee football – was at its peak into the very early 2000s. And Georgia didn't have its act together at that point in time. All right. The Virginia's, Virginia Tech's, North Carolina's didn't really have their act together at the time. Mac Brown had a season at North Carolina. And then he went to Texas. And Tennessee was able to, with the largest recruiting budget in the country for many a year, recruit the areas surrounding them and get elite talent. They also grab kids out of Michigan and Ohio, particularly kids who like to run track. Many of the star Tennessee wide receivers also ran track in the SEC in the spring. All those recruiting advantages for Tennessee have gone away. Just about every program that I've mentioned now, as I like to say, has their act together. Plus, Tennessee used to go into Atlanta and win in Atlanta. Well, Georgia's not letting anybody who they don't want get out of Atlanta. Okay, so it's a very different recruiting world for Tennessee than what it was two generations ago. And I think it's a very difficult job. And I don't know that it ever won't be. And in that way, D, I think it's a lot like Nebraska. Nebraska had its time where they had their system and they could plug in all the meat and potato players from the Midwest and they could go to Florida and Texas and get their speed. Well, now they can't get any of those kids in Florida and Texas. And those were their elite players. And now even they got to compete with the Iowa's and Wisconsin's and Northwestern's and Minnesota's of the world who they never had to compete with for a player before. Yeah. I almost feel like Nebraska is still Still thinks it's 1995, but everything is so fast now. The game has expedited so fast. I mean, even Alabama now is running up tempo. They've got they've got quarterbacks throwing the deep ball like you never saw Nick Saban 
being an offense, being recruiting not highly skilled quarterbacks, and now he's getting now the Bryce Young's turned into the next Alabama quarterback. If well, if you best, remember, if you remember five seven years ago, Nick wanted to slow the game down. He didn't like the no huddle. Okay, he wanted the mandate a huddle. All right, and the other forces in the sport basically told him and Brett Bielema and a few others, you know, sit down, old man. Your ways are, you know, antiquated. And at which point Nick turned around and said, well, okay, this is going to turn out worse for you guys because I can get better players than you. So if you guys want to play a game that's got 80 or 90 plays, then I'm going to play that game and I'm going to do it with better players. I was trying to play a game in which we ran 60 plays in which you had a better chance to compete. But now you want to run 80, 90 plays on each side. I got four and five stars. What do you have? And so Nick turned the tables on everybody and said, you want to play up tempo and throw it all over the lot? I will destroy you that way. At least before you used to lose 31 to seven. Now you're going to lose 59 to 21. Uh, speaking of Nick Saban, uh, you're going to be in a uh, game so for Alabama and Florida this weekend. What you expect in the, the SEC's first marquee matchup of the season? Well, I'd feel a little better if Rich, if I knew Richardson's hamstring was good enough that he could be close to at least 90 to 100 percent. Right now, the backup quarterback for Florida, who will be the starter in due time, you know, he tweaked that hamstring on that touchdown run against South Florida. And at the time we taped this podcast, you know, he's at practice, but he's getting treatment. So we don't know how much he's going to be able to play, how close to hundred percent he's going to be. I will say this. Dan is a gifted play caller. There are two gifted play callers in the sec Lane Kiffin and Dan Mullen. Now, is it enough to overcome the fact that Alabama's a 17-point favorite? I don't know. Lane Kiffin nearly did last year. I do think what Ole Miss did to Alabama, Dan's going to try to do this time. He's going to try to run it, and he's going to do it out of multiple formations, and he's got a stable of running backs, and he's got two running quarterbacks. And I think Dan's going to try to shorten the game by running the football and run it right down their throat. Now, Dan's never beaten Nick, but you know what? Think of the two teams that gave Alabama the most trouble last year. In one of their all-time great teams, Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss, Dan Mullen in Florida. They pretty much handled everybody else easily. But Lane and Dan gave Nick and that defense problems. That defense is very strong on the back end. It's going to be tested in the front six, front seven. And I think it's Florida's only chance. And we've seen where Alabama has historically been great in the front seven, but this Alabama team seems better at the on the back end. Yes, which is why I don't think that Florida is going to test it consistently. I, I think Dan's going to think my best shot is my offensive line against their defensive line, because also you could argue the strength of that defensive line is rushing the passer. So I really think Dan is going to remember the Dak Prescott offense at Mississippi State in 2013, 14, and 15. And that 2014 team got number one in the country and went to Alabama and lost by five. All right. I, I think that that's going to be the approach from Dan. He's going to try to wear Alabama out a little bit in the heat. 
okay, and play this game in the proverbial phone booth and turn around in the late third quarter and see where he's at. I mean, if, if Dan Mullen's looking at the scoreboard and it's 21-17, still in the fourth quarter, he's thinking, I'm in this game. Totally. Oh, my goodness. Dan would sign up for that right now. Down four with the ball, starting the fourth quarter, sign me up. Uh, do you, uh, Who's uh, on top of your rankings now? Is it Alabama or do you think Georgia is at, with beating Clemson would be top right now? Well, well, I would argue that Oregon's got the best win of the year because oh, it yeah. was a road because it's a road win. Georgia's got the second best win of the year because they beat a top five team on a neutral field. But Alabama right now is the best until proven otherwise. Here's Georgia's problem. Offensively, they're not up to par with the other elite teams. It's going to be very difficult to win playoff games the way they beat Clemson. Their defensive front overwhelmed Clemson's offensive line in early September. It could be an entirely different game four months later when you give an offensive line and a unit time to gel. At some point, JT Daniels and the Georgia offense is going to have to win a big game. Now, my guess is that game is going to be the cocktail party. Florida's going to score a few points and force Georgia to score a few. And that's when the Georgia offense is going to have to, you know, rise up. But until Georgia offensively joins the elite programs offensively, I got to just kind of push them to the side. I mean, if Georgia's even competent offensively, we know that great defense, Georgia could win a lot of games, maybe 24-20. I mean, if Georgia... Dylan, it's, it's really tough to do that nowadays, though. I mean, it is. The, the offense is, you know... I work with Gary Danielson in the SEC on CBS, and he told me something when he played, which was a while ago. He said, you know, I always thought the third wide receiver was better than the third corner on any team. And he said, we used to have two all-pro corners in Hanford, Dixon, and Minifield. And he said, and our wide receivers would beat them in practice all the time because it's, it's just tough to cover, guys. They know where they're going. Okay, we know where they're going. You know, usually you've got pretty good quarterbacks. We It's tough to stop a passing game. And that was then. The modern passing game? Wow. I, I, I think it's tough. I thought you saw it last year. Georgia had a terrific defense. Alabama scored 41. <laughs> Roasted that. And then, Florida, and then Florida put up a few in Jacksonville. Right. And, you know, Alabama had a pretty good defense. And Florida put up 46 on them. When you've got NFL talent, which a lot of these elite teams have, at quarterback, running back, and wide receiver, well, how are you going to stop that on Saturdays? We're talking NFL talent and, D, the level of coaching in college right now is excellent. These kids are coached up more. They're coached up better. And they're more talented, quite frankly, as freshmen and sophomore at quarterback and receiver than we've ever seen, ever seen. I mean, think about it. Alabama had a guy drafted fifth overall and four first-round draft picks at wide receiver on the 2019 team. And LSU beat them with a first-round quarterback, a first-round running back, and four first-round wide receivers. And LSU outscored them. That's how hard it is to play defense right now at the elite level. And Alabama's seen four wide receivers drafted the last two years. 
and two first-round quarterbacks and a running back. Right. You know what? Well, actually, you could argue three first-round quarterbacks if you're going to count Hurts as being an Alabama quarterback. Okay, can I say two? Can I say two and a half because Service was a second round guy? Well, at least two and a half. Well, that's true. He was a second round pick. Okay, but he played most of his career at Alabama, so true. I do think that the Tide should get most of the credit there. <laughs> yeah, speaking of NFL quarterbacks, uh, the game you covered this weekend, uh, Packers Saints. Well, uh, it was one good quarterback and one not so good quarterback. It's just that the good quarterback played like the played like the uh, bad quarterback, and that would be uh, Aaron Rodgers. What the heck happened? Well, what happened was pretty simple. You know, Chuck Knoll, in one of his final years of coaching, was asked – sorry about that. Chuck Knoll, in one of his final years of coaching, was asked, has the game passed you by? And he said, when the game becomes something other than blocking and tackling, yes, the game will have passed me by. New Orleans dominated Green Bay up front on both sides of the ball. There was a minute 10 left in the first half. The Packers had had the ball twice. And the Saints had only had it three times. The Saints did something Sunday, which hadn't been done in the NFL in over 20 years. Two 15-play touchdown drives back-to-back. They simply shoved it down Green Bay's throat, and then Green Bay, with no Bakhtiari at left tackle, and a new center and a new right guard got manhandled up front. Fortunately, they play in the NFC North, and they've got Detroit at home next Monday night. They'll be fine. Yeah, and good news, all everybody in the NFC North will, so it's not like you dunk yourself a hole. Yeah, we've got a lot of extremes like that. Three of the teams in the AFC East lost. The, uh, the whole AFC West won. The whole NFC West won. Houston, you know, Houston's the only undefeated team right. in the NFC South. Three AFC South teams lose. Three NFC East teams lose. Uh, I mean, it, it's remarkable how it would seem to be pretty much all or nothing. So what was the uh, most impressive win you saw and what was the most impressive performance you saw on Sunday Arizona going into Nashville and absolutely humiliating a team that I think is pretty good. And I mean, humiliating them. And so I, I think Arizona is the number one performance of the week. The saints are a close second, but I think, you know, the saints, more people thought a little more highly of new Orleans, despite all the changes than they did of Arizona. People still not taking Arizona seriously. Tough to not to take them seriously after last Sunday. I mean, I thought it would have been a shootout. I thought that game would have been a shootout in Nashville, but one team was ready for the shootout, and it wasn't the Titans. I mean, Kyle looked terrific in that game, throwing and running. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins, I bet the Tennessee Titans are glad he's not in the AFC South anymore. Well, the other thing was here was Arizona wanting to trade Chandler Jones because they can't agree on a contract. He's entering the final year of his deal. And he has three sacks in the first quarter and five for the game against a pro bowl left tackle. So, you know, listen, there's a lot of motivation in Arizona. you got veterans there who desperately want to win, and you've got a coach for sure and maybe even a GM who need to win this year or they're going to be fired. There's a lot of motivation in Arizona to get it done this year. 
I will throw another team out there that's getting no love. And granted, they did not play a good team. But the Philadelphia Eagles looked really good. And the one thing you can say about Philadelphia, they're pretty darn good at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. And so you wonder if maybe they're going to hang around in that division that they're in a lot longer than people think. Because on both sides of the ball, they got some really good linemen. And if Jalen Hurts is going to take care of it the way he did on Sunday, me and for one week anyway, all those young running backs and wide receivers look competent after for about the last two years looking disappointed. It seemed like all the rookie wide receivers look good on Sunday. I mean, Jamal Chase scored a touchdown, Devontae Smith, Jalen Warner seemed like, and all five first round rookie quarterbacks found the end zone, whether thrown or running. Pretty remarkable. Shows you that the times, they are changing. I mean, could Philly's success have been because they faced a crappy team with a new uh, head coach? And well, actually, the two head coaches. But uh, what I saw... Well, but see, that's just it, D. I mean, you got to give Philly credit. They were a crappy team with a first-time head coach. I mean, Nick okay. probably came with a game plan. Philly just ran the ball. I mean, Jalen Hurts didn't play didn't put up a lot of yards, but I'm not sure Jalen Hurts is going to be a yardage maker like some of these guys. But if the Eagles play a lot of low-scoring games, I mean, they've got to, despite all the changes going on there, I like Philly's line, line, offensive and defensive lines. And uh, it seems like there's a new champ in the NFC East every year. It could be Philly's year, right? Well, it's true. We haven't had a repeat winner in the NFC East since the Eagles in uh, 03 04 when they won it four years in a row. And Ryan Fitzpatrick's on IL for the next eight weeks. So, uh, yeah, that sucks for them because I actually think they're, they're a pretty solid team. And they just needed, they needed the last good year that Ryan Fitzpatrick probably has in him. And for him to get hurt, at best, they're only going to get the last good half year that Ryan Fitzpatrick has in them. Actually a pretty big game Thursday. Neither team in that division wants to start 0-2, and the Giants, for some reason, have beaten Washington four in a row. They've struggled mightily with the Eagles for a decade, and they've struggled uh, with the Cowboys for the last half dozen years as well. But, man, they, they own Washington, and Daniel Jones and the Giants need a win, and Taylor Heineke and Washington needs a win. I think Daniel Jones needs to hold on to the football because it seems like the last couple of times he's playing on Thursday night, he couldn't hold on to the ball. I don't know if there's been a game where Daniel Jones has held on to the ball. And, uh, yeah, it's getting late early for Daniel Jones's career in New York. You know, the Jets got rid of Sam Darnold after three years. And um, if it doesn't get better quickly, There'll be a new GM who may get rid of Daniel Jones after three years as I'm well. Just, I'm just saying Arizona got rid of Josh Rosen after, what, five minutes? Well, new head coach. You know, that's usually when the changes happen. Somebody new who's a decision maker, coach or GM, comes in and says, you know, get rid of this guy. I mean, McVeigh turned around and said, get rid of golf. And they said, hey, you took us to the Super Bowls, taking us to the playoffs three times. And he said, yeah, I don't care. Get rid of him. And he's gone. And I mean, yeah, Joe, I think Joe Judge is a really good head coach. And the Giants spent not just money, but draft picks on the offense. And yet Denver really roasted them on Sunday. Well, once again, what's the weakness of the Giants? Offensive Offensive line. line. 
there you go. Can't win in football at any level if you can't block. Period, end of sentence. Doesn't matter. Yeah, and finally, uh, how about uh, Trevor Lawrence? I mean, in his uh, NFL debut, it was a little, I called it a little good, bad, and ugly. I mean, he he provided a lot of what the Jaguars season will be like this year, right? Well, talk about a team without a good offensive line. I mean, that's the problem. He's going to have to use his mobility all year. They're not very good up front. Uh, I mean, they're just not. And people, and listen, I think Urban, if he can get along with the pro player, okay, Urban knows how to run a team. It's gotten off to a rocky start, but I think if Urban can figure out a way to get through the first year, he can do okay. I don't know if he will, but if he can get through year one, I think ultimately he'll turn Jacksonville into some kind of winner. But they went one and 15 for a reason. I mean, they're not good at all, just about anywhere. So, you know, one off season can only do so much. Yeah, I mean, other than maybe wide receiver, maybe running back, although eat the insert. I mean, James Robinson was a non-factor. And I mean, in a game, a lot they of can't people- block. They can't block. You can't run it. If you can't block, the quarterback doesn't have time to throw it. And if we couldn't block the Houston Texans, <laughs> Lord knows what we're going to do against Vaughn, what the Jags would do against Von Miller this weekend. Well, in Denver, it's why that Denver Giants game I thought was a big game for both teams. It's why I also thought that Denver was going to choose Teddy Bridgewater because the head coach has to win or he's fired. And even though it's a new GM, that organization's had four straight losing seasons. They haven't had that in 50 years. So these are really dark times in Denver. And they open with the Giants, the Jags, and the Jets. And I think that... Vic Fangio, the head coach, looked and said, you know, we can win these games if we just don't screw them up. And which quarterback has a better chance of screwing them up? Uh, Drew 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 Locke. Locke. So I'm going to go with Teddy Bridgewater, who may not be great, but he rarely turns the ball over. And I think we can start 3-0. and And that goes a long way in this league. I'm just saying, and Denver moved the ball well. Teddy played fish and Really well. Fortunately, Judy's out, but I think he'll be back in like four or five weeks. But a Denver's okay on offense. I mean, Melvin Gordon looked like he was five years younger on Sunday. Well, Jacksonville's going to struggle up front in this game. Jacksonville has the hope that maybe the heat affects the Broncos. Remember, they're not used they're not used to playing in heat or humidity, and they're going to get both on Sunday. And if you're the Jags, you have to hope that pays dividends same with miami hosting buffalo i mean every now and then a team from the north just comes and wilts in the florida heat and humidity in september quite frankly the gators even though it gets hot and humid in alabama the gators have to hope that maybe you know those alabama players aren't used to playing 60 minutes that's why the longer the gators can stretch this game out just you know florida humidity is even a little little worse than alabama humidity Just make the swamp a little extra toasty on Saturday afternoon, right? Well, then it'll be a full house. So it'll be a lot of hot air, though. <laughs> That's what we like to see. So uh, thanks for hopping on, David, and uh, wish you safe travels to uh, Washington. Watch it. Well, hopefully, they've fixed the uh, 
field issues. I'm sure you heard the uh, field hit the uh, not the field the stadium issues on uh, in D.C. and uh, we'll see you this weekend for Alabama, Florida. Thanks, Steve.